Pastor Xavier Reese, and the lighter side of complaining. A recent medical survey stated that chronic complainers live longer than people who are always sweet and serene. It claimed that their cantankerous spirit gives them a purpose for living, and they derive great satisfaction from making others miserable. The man responded to the article, he says, I question whether those who complain actually do outlive those who don't. Maybe it just seems that way to everyone around them. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Log on to gripeoftheday.com and you're welcome to the place to post your gripes, complaints, rants, criticisms, objections, protests, covering all topics, work, friends, money, love, politics, products, taxes, sports, even the very website itself. And in today's Simple Truth study from our series in the Book of Numbers, Pastor Xavier illustrates how the complaining of the children of Israel has no rival. Numbers chapter 11. The title of the message is The Problem with Complaining. And so what we want to do this morning is to examine the complaint of Israel as they have gone three days into the wilderness. And we want to learn four things about their complaining. And they're found right here in this chapter. The first one is complaining is displeasing to God. Verses 1 through 3. He says, Now when the people complain, it displeased the Lord, for the Lord heard it, and His anger was aroused, and so the fire of the Lord burned some who were on the outskirts of the town. The word complain means to murmur. If you go to the doctor and you tell him, you know, I've got an irregular beat on my heart. He says, oh, that's nothing, Mr. Jones, don't worry about it. What you have is a murmur. <laughs> and that's really the problem with people's complaining. It's a murmuring of the heart. It's a heart condition. They had seen God do great things in Egypt and in the Exodus, and they still did not trust God for their lives. Notice, secondly, the people cried out to Moses complaining about God's judgment. And for him to intercede for them. Interesting, they complain against God, now they want God to be interceded by Moses. <laughs> a lot of people use God like that, you know. God doesn't do what they want, they get all upside about him. And then they start receiving some consequences. Oh, God, help me. Emergency God. You know, one of the ones you blow up and you use them, and then when you're done, you roll them up and you put them back in the drawer. There's a lot of that going on in the church today. Only when I need you, only when it's convenient. And not consistency. The repentance was due to the consequences, not genuine repentance. Verse 2, it says, And the people cried out to Moses. Moses prayed for them. It wasn't genuine. How do I know that? Because they're going to do it all over again. So complaining is displeasing to God. That's the first thing we learn. It's very basic. Now, please understand that this doesn't mean that God is not concerned with your attitude, with your desires and how you feel. Go to God. Honest seeking of God, God never rejects, no matter how you come. But those people who are constantly complaining, and their only concern is to complain, they don't want solutions or obedience, that's what God is talking about. A critical spirit, that's what He's talking about. Notice secondly, verses 4 through 9, that complaining makes us vulnerable to crave the things of the world. The mixed multitude, now the mixed multitude were there among them, yielding intensely to their cravings. And then the children of Israel also wept again. And they said, who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish that were, we ate freely in Egypt, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlics. But now our whole being is dried up. There is nothing at all except this stinking manna before our eyes. Interesting. 
Notice the people's complaining caused them to identify more with the mixed multitude than with the people of God. Complaining causes you and myself to identify more with the people of the world, the mixed multitude, than the people of God. But notice, secondly, that the people were desiring the things of the earth over the things of heaven, verses 5 and 6. Fish, cucumbers, the melon, the leeks, garlic, the onions. Their memory recalled the time in Egypt under nostalgia and colored glasses, thinking only of their appetites, the good old days. Isn't it amazing how beautiful and how enjoying and how neat the past looks as we're in the future looking backwards? And it's almost like a slap to God in the face. Their memory refused to remember the whip of the taskmasters and the 400 years of bondage. You see, you don't remember about the disappointment. You don't remember about the pain. You don't remember about the ripoff. You don't remember about the loneliness. You don't remember about the dissatisfaction. You only remember the high points because you're down and you're complaining. The enemy is very clever. Their appreciation for the things of God became distasteful and dissatisfying, complaining about the manna. Manna. Manna in the morning. Manna at lunch. Manna in the evening. And so complaining makes us vulnerable to crave the things of the world. Notice secondly, in verse 11, Moses is taken in by the ongoing complaining. And he complains to God about the burden of the people. So Moses said to the Lord, Why have you afflicted your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight that you have laid this burden of all these people on me? Interesting. Notice first he says he complains to God that God had afflicted him without reason. Who's saying this? Moses. Have you ever heard this about Moses in this chapter? I never have. One of the troubled things that we can come and fall prey to is that we can proclaim and we can paint these men as perfect and we do not truly represent them as the scriptures do. God paints his saints warts and all. He doesn't touch them up like they did in your senior picture. He lets them appear exactly what they look like. And neither should we floss over what they're doing, how they're acting. Moses is blowing it here, big time. Who is he? He's the leader. What a warning that is to me, that I can become a complainer if I hear complaining all the time. And I really don't need much help, you know what I mean? Secondly, he complained of having no favor before God. That's quite a statement, Moses. God delivers him from Egypt. God trains him for 40 years. God sends him back. God does tremendous miracles through him. God lets him lead two to three million people out. And he says he's never found favor in his eyes. He's already saved his neck many a times between the Exodus and here. He complained that God had laid all the responsibility of the people on him. God never did that. How easy it is for us to begin taking on burdens that God never called us to, and then we start complaining to God about things that He never told us to do. But notice thirdly in verse 12, Moses complains to God in a sarcastic way. Oh, please listen to his voice. He says, did I conceive all these people? Did I beget them? He said, how do you know he spoke like that? He didn't say, did I conceive these people? Did I beget them? No. These are sarcastic words. 
Moses is fed up. That you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a guardian carries a nursing child to the land which you have sworn to their fathers. He declared that he did not conceive or beget them, very sarcastically. But notice fourthly in verse 13, Moses complains about giving them to eat, yet God never asked him to feed them. Where am I going to get meat to give to all these people? Another sarcastic remark. For they weep all over me, saying, Give us meat that we may eat. And so first of all, he vents his frustration. Moses doesn't know what to do. He has taken on this responsibility that God never called him to do, and therefore he's laid more pressure on himself than God has ever laid on him. And so what is he? He's frustrated. And he vents his frustration on who? On God. Notice, secondly, he declares an ongoing pressure. He says, they weep all over me. (laughs) Moses is saying, these guys are breathing down my neck, God. They want me to feed them. Am I God? He said, give us meat. Give us to eat. Notice fifthly in verse 14. Moses complains to God about his inability to bear all the people. He already said he can't feed them. He says, I'm not able to bear all these people alone because the burden is too heavy for me. He was looking to himself. He was thinking that he could do it. God never called him to do that. When you look to yourself, to whatever is going to be going on in your life in the Lord, then you're going to come to the end of yourself because you don't have it. Don't look to yourself. Jesus says, keep your eyes on me. Jesus says, abide in me. Unless you abide in me, you can do nothing. And yet Paul says, apart from Christ, I can do nothing. But he says, in Christ, I can do all things. Who strengthens me? There's the other side of it. Notice he also declares he had no resources. And pressure and people and circumstance will drive you to recognize a Christian that you have no resources in yourself. You must go to God. And God many times allows that pressure to come to drive you to God. But if you do not allow that pressure to drive you to God, it will drive you to yourself. And that's always destructive. That's always the wrong way to go. Notice lastly in verse 15. Moses complains to God about the injustice he has done to him and suggests a solution. It might sound like some of yours at times. Listen. If you treat me like this, please kill me here and now. If I have found favor in your sight and do not let me see my wretchedness. He charges God with being unfair and that he might as well kill him right on the spot. You ever tell God that? Oh, I've been there. Lord, just take me home. (laughs) Elijah prayed, Lord, kill me. Jonah said, Lord, kill me. God didn't kill him. (laughs) Okay? But it's interesting that the people who never prayed, Lord, kill me, the Lord did kill. So you don't have to worry about it. If he wants to kill you, he knows where you live. <laughs> He'll get you, okay? And he's in no hurry. Fourth and last, complaining results in yielding to our cravings. Notice it's been progressive. In verse 18, the Lord will give us over to our flesh. Listen, then you shall say to the people, sanctify yourself tomorrow and you shall eat meat, for you have wept in the hearing of the Lord, saying, 
Who will give us meat to eat? For it was well with us in Egypt. Therefore the Lord will give you meat, and you shall eat. First, they wept and said, Who will give us meat? As if there is, again, anything impossible for God. What's impossible for God? Absolutely nothing. Secondly, they said it was well with them in Egypt. Liars. They're deceived. Was it well with you in the world? If it was so well, what are you doing with Christ? Interesting. Thirdly, the Lord would give them their desires. In the scriptures in Ezekiel, I believe, it's either there in Jeremiah, it says that the people kept coming to the Lord while they were worshiping other gods, and God said, I will answer them according to their desires. Interesting. You keep being persistent about your fleshly desires. God will give you up to your desires. God will hand you over. You remember King Manasseh? God sent the prophet to tell him to get his house in order. God was going to kill him and take him home. Hezekiah turned his face to the wall. He began to pout. He says, how can God do this? I'm in the prime of my life. I don't want to go now. God sent the prophet back and said, tell him, I will give him 15 more years. Oh, that Hezekiah would have gone home. The most wicked king of Israel was born unto him, King Manasseh. You know, we can be so persistent in our own will that God will give us over to our desire and we will reap the devastation. It happens all the time in the Christian church, people. A lot today. Oh, I hope God doesn't give you to your desires. I hope you're not that stubborn. Notice in verse 20, the Lord will allow our cravings to correct us. That's the flip side. He says, you shall eat not one day, not two days, not five days, not ten days, nor twenty days, but for a whole month until it comes out of your nostril and becomes loathsome to you because you have despised the Lord who is among you and have wept before him saying, why did we ever come out of Egypt? Interesting. He says they would eat till they would abhor it. You know, God will give you over to flesh, and you know what? To the point where you get where your flesh just consumes you so much where you learn to hate it. Sin is fun. Listen, let's qualify it for a season. Summer's great. It's only four months. You know what I mean? <laughs> then there's winter. The reason being they had despised God and wished they had never gone out of Egypt. Is that your desire right now? Are you in the point in your life where you say, oh man, I should have never left the world. I want to go back in the world. As if we are going to intimidate God. I can almost hear God say, you want to go for it? Go for it. Let's see how you do. The Bible says it would be better that we would end up twice worse off than we were at first if we went back in the world. He, he that's overcome, his latter end will be worse than the first. We know too much. The Lord will allow our cravings to correct us. Absolutely. I think we all have a taste of that to some measure. But notice 30, the Lord provide the quail miraculously in verse 31. Now a wind went out from the Lord and it brought quail from the sea and left fluttering near the camp about the day's journey on one side and about the day's journey on the other side all around the camp and about two cubits 
above the surface of the ground. So about three feet. A cube is about a foot and a half. And so here God, by his miraculous doing, he takes the natural process where birds fly in, in flock formations in abundance, and he takes a strong wind and blows them uh, up the Red Sea, across the desert, and he brings them to where they are. God takes the normal process of laws of nature and he utilizes them for his own opportunity by intervening in them. Miracles. Now, the birds could have been flying three feet high because they were tired. That's reasonable. But could not God have them fly three feet if he wanted to? He had all the animals walk into the ark. <laughs> I mean, it's no big deal, is there? Do you find a problem with that? <laughs> I mean, he's God. The thing to note here is that God did give them what they wanted. He absolutely did. And this is not an isolated place in Scripture. Search the Scriptures. Notice fourthly, verse 32. The people were completely given to their flesh. They gave themselves over to the flesh completely. Verse 32. And the people stayed up all that day, all that night, all that next day. All that all is there for emphasis, not for repetitious to bore you. And they gathered quail. He who gathered leaves gathers ten omars, and they spread them out for themselves all around the camp. Their lust drove them night and day. Does that sound familiar? Look at it. Their lust drove them night and day. Their greed drove them to gather all they could. But notice also, fifthly, in verse 33, the judgment of God fell on them as they were wrapped up in their lust. Listen, this is neat. But while the meat was still between their teeth, before it was chewed, the wrath of the Lord aroused against the people, and the Lord struck the people with the very great plague. Two important things here. First, they were unaware of God while in their sin. Have you ever noticed that? They were unaware of God while in their sin. When God has given you up to your flesh and your lust, you just go for it night and day, you are unaware of God in your sin. No one who's taking drugs or getting drunk is thinking about God. Oh, he's so great. Uh-uh. When you're out there committing fornication or adultery, you're not thinking of God. You're not even thinking of that person. You're thinking of yourself. You're not going to be thinking about God. But secondly, they were struck by God in their sin. And that happens often. In your very sin, you are struck by God in various forms. The person who goes out for a one-night stand, just one fling, one time, and all of a sudden, that one person turns and says, Welcome to the world of AIDS. Struck in your very sin. We just don't always know if it's God or if it's reaping and sowing. Either way, the consequence comes in our sin. We're so blinded by our sin. We are in our sin. We're not thinking about God. And we're struck right in the midst of our sin. Or as a young lady yields to yield her virginity, and she knows she is struck in her sin. And she knows, I blew it. No return. In your sin, regret. Last of all, we see the craving for the flesh. It was memorialized by God, verses 34. 
and 35. He says, So we call the name of the place Kibrath Hadabah because they there buried the people who had yielded to craving. And from Kibrath Hadabah, the people moved to Hazaroth and encamped at Hazaroth. The name of the place Kibrath Hadabah means graves of lusting or cravings. To warn the people of the end result of the flesh, God would have you to memorialize your failures in the flesh, the consequences of those things. He doesn't want you to ever forget them. He doesn't want you to live in misery under them. That's not God. Because there's no condemnation of those who are in Christ Jesus. He's forgiven you. They're gone. But He wants you to remember them clear enough to see the destruction when you've gone after your own flesh that you may learn. First for your own life, second to warn others. But also, He moved them on from the place of failure. God cleanses you, forgives you, and then He moves you on. He doesn't leave you there. Don't let anybody leave you there. He forgives you, He moves you on. That's the type of God we serve. He's quite a guy, isn't He? He's always looking out for us. Complaining results in yielding to our cravings. How dangerous that is. Again, don't mistake in legitimate concerns and difficulties that God is never tired of hearing from you with critical, constant complaining that seeks no solution, just His own will. Distinguish between the two. We're talking about the latter. A recent medical survey stated that chronic complainers live longer than people who are always sweet and serene. It claimed that, our, that their cantankerous spirit gives them a purpose for living. Each morning they get up with the fresh challenge to see how many things they can find to grumble about and they derive great satisfaction from making others miserable. The man responded to the article. He says, I question whether those who complain actually do outlive those who don't. Maybe it just seems that way to everyone around them. <laughs> the complaining of Israel teaches us four important things for our lives as Christians, as the body of Jesus Christ. Complaining is displeasing to God. Absolutely. Secondly, complaining makes us vulnerable to crave the things of the world. You keep complaining, you start looking elsewhere. The world is always the first place. Thirdly, complaining causes others to complain. Who are you stumbling? Who are you infecting with your complaining? What's the end result? Fourthly, complaining results in yielding to our cravings. We're given up to them. We reap the havoc and destruction of it. Oh, that we would learn some lessons from these people in the wilderness. Lest we come to the very same place. It would be wisdom to us. So I pray as we grow and we continue to see God add to the church. Remember, when God adds people, complaints multiply. Look at Moses, two to three million people. And so these are lessons for us as God is doing a tremendous work in the midst of us. Lest we end up being like them. May God give us a heart that is open to His will 
and not our own. Pastor Xavier Reese, wrapping up our Simple Truth study today with a recap of what positives we can learn from the complaints of the children of Israel. And just before we close, let me take these last moments to mention that copies of today's study, simply titled The Problem with Complaining, are available, as always, on CD for just $4. And this will also include everything Pastor Xavier shared the last time we were together as well. So once again, the title to ask for is simply The Problem with Complaining, or just mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And then join us for more Simple Truths next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 